What 2015 top three back can you get in the fourth round right now? What fantasy value can get from the Cleveland Browns number two wide receiver this season? And what should you know before making your own projections for high stakes leagues? Plus, DraftSharks.com analyst Matt Schauf co-hosts tonight to break down the just-released DraftSharks rankings, consider the likelihood of a Ladarius Green breakout, and whether we are overdrafting Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker right now. We've got a great show for you. Matt Schauf is here. Stick around. Your Eric Balkman Show episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. Live from the WRST Radio Studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. Salutations to all the Balkaholics, Angers, Zach, and Addicts. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. I'm your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman, and my usual co-host, the patron saint of fantasy football, Dave Dizzle Gerzak, has the week off. But we've upgraded tonight to a very talented writer who you may know from his work at the New York Daily Star, ProFantasySports.com, The Sporting News, Roto World, Athlon, FantasySportsBusiness.com, and Rapid Draft. He is the 2013 FSTA IDP Accuracy Rankings Champ, a great ambassador for the small businesses of Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and my co-owner for my Scott Fishbowl team this year. Please welcome in to co-host tonight's festivities from DraftSharks.com, Mr. Matt Schauf. What's up, man? Man, you are way too kind, but I'm sure that everybody listening knows me from my days as a copy editor in Oneonta, New York. <laughs> I think you, you grew quite the fan base there doing that. You uh, you did yeoman's work there. Nary a misplaced comma could be found. <laughs> they lined the streets when I left town. It was tearful, but it was enjoyable. Well, that's awesome, and, and tonight's show will be enjoyable that you're on as well. I apologize in advance for the audio blog talk radio. Still working to get that fixed for uh, for us, so we're going to shoot for next week, and hopefully we'll be back up and running. Uh, tonight uh, On tonight's show, we're going to talk about what the Cowboys offense has in store for Tony Romo and Des Bryant, what you should be doing with Ryan Matthews in drafts, and how much injury prediction comes into play into the Draft Sharks rankings. Shout out to the chat room right now. You guys can post any questions you might have in there for me or for Matt right now. If you're not connect with us on Twitter, you can do so at HSFFR, at Eric Balkman, at David Gerzak. Of course, DraftSharks is at DraftSharks on Twitter, and Matt is at ShelfDS on Twitter. Our Facebook uh, page is uh, Facebook.com slash the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, and if you want to chime in and call uh, tonight, do us, uh, you can definitely do us a favor and give us a ring at 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA. The uh, inbox is highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. We have some emails and some tweets ready to go in the fantasy feedback segment later on in the show, but you can still jump in. We'll see if we can fit them in uh, as our producer mutual friend Rob and our audio engineer Bryce gets those uh, to us hot and fresh uh, as we uh, move on 
towards the uh, second half of the show. I want to remind everybody that you only have essentially 12 days left to take advantage of the Football Guys Players Championship Early Bird. That ends on June 30th. Uh, make sure that you sign up for your Football Guys Players Championship teams now so you can get, take advantage of that Insider Pro subscription at Football Guys. Reminder, uh, Dynasty Leagues now at the $250 level are available at MyFFPC.com. I know we just filled up another 250 tonight. Uh, so plenty of startups going throughout the summer. Uh, and check out all the satellites we have going on starting at $35. All a bunch of great uh, games to play with our hobby uh, at myffpc.com. I want to thank uh, Draft Sharks and Matt and, of course, our uh, producer Rob for tonight's rundown. Let's uh, kick things off with the big announcement from Draft Sharks this week. Uh, Matt, you guys released your top 350 for the season uh, after uh, I would assume many fist fights, um, you know, threats, violence. You guys finally uh, agreed to a consensus top 350. And one of the guys that uh, created uh, a lot of contention uh, amongst you guys was uh, C.J. Anderson. Talk a little bit about why he was so polarizing as you guys put these rankings together. Yeah, I mean, it was actually a little tamer this year than it's been in the past. There are no, no Rasburita bets made. Um, nobody's lip has been bloodied yet. Um, we'll see. C.J. Anderson, or Jared Smallwell, my colleague, and I have argued about him multiple times already, both on the podcast and uh, you know behind the scenes. And it really, it's it's me versus him on C.J. Anderson. He, Jared's a little apprehensive, I think, after last year um, when we bought in to C.J. Anderson and he let all of us down. Anybody who drafted him, anybody who recommended him. So I can understand why there's some apprehension. Uh, it's basically you're looking at him, you say he hasn't done it for a full year yet. I think it was injuries last year. I look at him and I see a guy who started the final seven games of 2014, was fantasy's top running back over that stretch in any format. Uh, after their week seven bye last year, he led the league in yards per carry, 6.4. Uh, their Denver's actions in the offseason tell me that they consider him the lead back unless something bad happens this year. So you know, you could say there's injury risk. I think that's the case with pretty much any running back. I look at Anderson. Um, I look at Gary Kubiak's uh, history with running backs, Arian Foster years, Justin Forsett in Baltimore, Steve Slayton even in Houston. And I say when C.J. Anderson breaks out, which I think is going to happen, uh, I want to be there for it. What What was the uh, – I mean, was Jared's – you know, when, when you guys were discussing it, was Jared's point about Anderson – just like a major focus on, on how he started off 2015 so slow. I mean, what was, what was the reasoning um, behind Smola really, you know, not loving Anderson as much as, as you do? I think the apprehension is primarily them splitting the job between him and Ronnie Hillman after Anderson got off to the slow start last year, never really going all the way back to him. And I would understand that, except that this offseason showed them – um, shelling out the money to keep C.J. Anderson from leaving town. They paid Ronnie Hillman a uh, million dollars for a year to come back. It's like, okay, if nobody else is going to sign you, we'll keep you around. Then they drafted a guy who I think is going to be better than Ronnie Hillman right away in Devontae Booker. So their actions tell me that C.J. Anderson is the lead guy. And Gary Kubiak's history shows me that he likes to lean on a, a workhorse running back. Um, I, I think that you know it, it can come down to – when you believe in a certain way, you can find things to back you up, find reasons to, um, you know, support what you're thinking. You can look at it and say, oh, I'm worried about Booker because he's pretty good, and I like Devontae Booker coming in. But he's also a late fourth-round pick. 
Um, you don't, you don't, teams don't generally draft a guy like that that they think is going to start right away. And I don't think that with the way Denver spent money um, this year, you know, they let Malik Jackson walk, they let Brock Osweiler walk in free agency. They showed that they weren't scared to let guys walk, and yet they kept C.J. Anderson. Um, and the two teams that tried to sign him were John Fox, his former head coach, Adam Gase, his former coordinator. Those that know him love him, and the Broncos definitely tried to uh, pony up the cash and make sure that he was a priority for them this offseason. Good points there. Let's keep talking about running backs, Matt. Deion Lewis practiced for the New England Patriots this week once again after he tore that ACL in his knee in November. He was actually cranking out at a top three uh, pace uh, when he got hurt in in FFPC leagues last year. Right now, uh, in Football Guys Players Championship drafts and, and the classic sats, uh, he's going solidly in the fourth round. I mean, almost always. I think I saw him in the third round once, but usually you can al- almost always get him in the fourth round. Given uh, that knowledge, uh, if his ADP doesn't change, which I think it will, given uh, if we keep getting good news and he keeps practicing throughout uh, the preseason. But if in the fourth round right now, do you see having a lot of shares of Deion Lewis this year at that price? I don't personally think I will. Uh, I can't call him a bad pick because, like you said, I mean, he outproduced that last year. But that's the only example of that um, in his five years in the league. He's played 31 total games. He's had uh, a number of injury issues, including plenty of lower body stuff. He's coming back from the ACL. So, I mean, if he's fully healthy and back in the same role as last year, then he he certainly should deliver on that. But in a year where I can wait until – round five, round six, and get guys who are heading into the season as their team's feature backs, I'm not jumping on Deion Lewis at that point, especially because oftentimes I'm taking two running backs even a little earlier, and I'm looking at wide receivers in that range. Matt Schauf from DraftSharks.com, the award-winning Matt Schauf and his uh, projections uh, joining the show tonight. I mean, okay. There, there's a. Uh, I was actually on the Fantasy Sports Network this week on Fantasy Sports Today, and they they we want they wanted to talk to me about rookies, and they want to talk literally almost every single skill position guy that was drafted in the first four rounds except Ezekiel Elliott because it's just the the fantasy sports talk has been saturated with uh, with uh, with Zeke knowledge, so they wanted to stay away from him. I'm going the other way. We're going to talk about Ezekiel Elliott a little bit here tonight. <laughs> Mike Fisher of Cowboys HQ uh, said that uh, Dallas is actually installing a, quote, Zeke-centric offense uh, this season, so obviously revolving around their number four overall pick. Are you, Matt, buying into the, the Ezekiel Elliott returning first-round value? And, I mean, what does this development, now knowing that Dallas sort of wants to center – Ezekiel Elliott and make him the centerpiece of the offense. What does that do for, for the values of Tony Romo and Des Bryant? Yeah, I'm, total, I'm totally buying into Elliott. I mean, two years ago, DeMarco Murray was averaging 28.2 touches per game in this Cowboys offense. He was a top two fantasy back across formats. Last year, Darren McFadden, who didn't even get the job until Joseph Randall was out of the way, Lance Dunbar was hurt. He averaged 18.4 carries per game over his 11 as a lead back. That would have ranked third in the league. He was RB6 across formats from week seven on. It's a tremendous situation. Nobody can argue that. Um, Two years ago, when everybody was healthy, the Cowboys were one of the most run-heavy teams in the league, so volumes there. Um, It's a team with a closing championship window, so I don't think that they're going to um, 
worry about overworking Elliott and extending his career because I think they know. I think Jerry Jones is looking for a title as soon as possible. They drafted him fourth overall to play right away. So the only argument against Elliott is that he's a rookie. And, I mean, if that's what's keeping you from drafting him in round one, then that's up to you. But I think this is a strange year in that you can't – there is not a single running back that you can't find something wrong with. Even Adrian Peterson, who – is I would call the safest back on the board is 31. I mean, it's a weird year when a 31-year-old is the safest back on the board. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I'm, I, and I'm with you on that. Uh, okay, so if, you, if you're liking Elliott, are you worried that maybe Romo and Bryant are, 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 are being drafted higher uh, than what their end-of-season output is going to reflect? Uh, I mean, Romo's getting drafted well out of starter range, so I think he's fine where he's going, and we'll kind of see. I think, you know, if they go back to like they were in 2014, his volume's going to suffer a bit. But if you're talking about a mid-QB2, then that's not a guy that you're looking to start every week, so you're going to get value from him. Bryant I'm a little worried about right now because of the foot injury. Um, You know, he had another surgery in January. We'll see if he's fine through training camp physically. But for me, he's too risky in round one. Um, with that factor, just because right around him there are safer options with um, similar upside. Uh, let's. Uh, I, I didn't realize when when I was putting this together, we have we have we're talking so many uh, so many running backs uh, in, in the in the rundown. But let's let's keep talking about uh, the backfield. Adam Gase actually told reporters this week that he's looking for a three down back, Matt, and uh, he says that he doesn't want necessarily the down and distance affecting who the running back is on the field. Now, given that Jay Ajayi is is being drafted in the early to mid sixth round. Uh, of our drafts right now is is he a good value uh, that you see at that price there i definitely think so i mean he's the 23rd running back off the board right now generally depending on which adp you're looking at um last year lamar miller finished fifth in ppr despite ranking 26th in the league in carries per game he got fewer carries per week than ronnie hillman did um by comparison adam gase coming from chicago where matt forte finished eighth in points per game last year in ppr C.J. Anderson had the big finish to 2014. No Sean Moreno, Willis McGahee before that. Um, they both put up top 16 PPR seasons across 2012 and 2013. So there's some track record for the coach. I like the Jai coming into the league. I think he would have been a second-round pick if not for the long-term knee questions. I don't think that's an issue for this year. So I like him. I think the offense has lots of upside. And I don't think that his I don't think he costs very much relative to where I think he's likely to finish. Kenyon Drake is is obviously the the guy right behind Ajayi right now uh, in Miami. Do you, do you view him as anything more than a handcuff, or I mean, do you envision that Drake maybe does take a, a significant portion of touches away from Ajayi? I mean, that's the they they certainly drafted him as though he's going to be a significant offensive piece. I think, though, with the way things are in the league at this point, there are lots of backfields where there are two valuable fantasy backs, and you don't have to draft either of these guys too early. I think there's room for Drake to be a factor without crushing Ajayi, and we'll, we'll kind of have to see how much work he takes. He never reached 100 carries in a college season, so I'm not worried about him cutting into the rushing work too much. We'll see if he keeps Ajayi, you know, in like the 30 reception range or or lower, which, you know, that would limit his PPR upside, not beyond, um, you know, not beneath where he's going in drafts, but uh, could cap the, the upside there. 
Kenyon Drake's uh, collegiate uh, teammate, Derek Henry, got some praise from um, Titans head coach Mike Malarkey. God, that's just – every time I say Titans head coach Mike Malarkey, it just it, – it never feels good. It, it just it, – it, it's like I'm talking with dirt in my mouth. Uh, but he actually was talking about how good uh, Henry was catching uh, the football, something we, we really didn't see a whole lot of him doing at Alabama. When you consider that uh, the, the Titans have brought in DeMarco Murray – and they still utilize a second-round pick on Derrick Henry. How do, how, do, how do the backfield touches, how do they shape up in Tennessee? And I guess, um, you know, people, uh, subscribers of Draft Sharks can, can actually check this out right now, how you guys uh, have those divvied up. But give us a preview of, of how you guys broke down that backfield. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know why anybody would draft DeMarco Murray in RB2 range right now, which is where he's going, because – um, you know, early on, it looked like a good spot volume-wise. Uh, there were a few challenges in the backfield, but they spent an early second-round pick on Derrick Henry. Uh, it's not like it's a quarterback where they're going to sit him for a year behind the veteran and then see what happens beyond that. He's going to get as much as he's ready for. I think at least they're splitting it in half. We have Murray well below where ADP has him. Derrick Henry, it's a little tough to find him strong numbers projections-wise, but he's got a high ceiling, I think, beyond where you project him. And it really depends on how much of the receiving work he can get because that's total projection at this point. He caught fewer passes, you know, relative to his carries than any of the previous Alabama guys, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy, uh, TJ Yeldon. Um, you know, all those guys directly before him under Nick Saban were catching more balls. So we'll, we'll see how much of that he can do. But at the least, I think he kills DeMarco Murray's value. And as an Eagles fan, I watched how poorly DeMarco Murray played last year. So I wasn't really excited to draft him in the first place. So I mean, I mean, is this it for Murray? I mean, did did we see his best year in Dallas, and and he was a, a bigger product of the offensive line there than than we're giving him credit for? I mean, have we? Is there any fantasy value to be extracted from him the rest of his career as long as he's being you know drafted as like a a running back in the top four or five rounds? I mean, I think I. I... Uh, right now, I don't. I don't think he belongs in that range. I think you know, if he landed back in Dallas, then I would certainly draft him um, in that range right now. If he's you know one year in Tennessee and then on to a better situation next year, um, then we'll see. But I, I, I think that I, I'm sure that we saw his best season. I don't think we'll see him in RB one range again. I, I think it's a stretch to put him in RB two range. We'll kind of see where the situation goes beyond 2016. We are actually up against the break right now, ladies and gentlemen. Great stuff from Matt Shaw from DraftSharks.com. We're going to come back right after this and talk much, much more with Matt, uh, including some Alshon Jeffrey, Kevin White uh, uh, knowledge. We're going to do that right after this. You're listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. Welcome back to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. I am Eric Balkman. My normal co-host, The Dizzle, is off this week, but we have DraftSharks.com's Matt Schauf coming in on the program tonight, co-hosting. Matt, hey, hey, real quick, the Scott Fishbowl, did you actually – I don't know if you got a chance to, to log in on the website for the, te- for the team we're sharing, but did, did you uh, see what draft pick we have? Uh, no, I haven't checked yet. It's been a busy week. No, number one overall. <laughs> So we literally right. could draft any anybody who we want, and it's it's uh, you know it's it's a weird uh, setup. There's no kickers and defenses, and you can start two quarterbacks. It, it, it's it's it you start eleven guys, and it's a weird um, setup of who how many you can start at each position. But you start two quarterbacks. We might have to think about a quarterback number one. I don't know how they normally do do it in, in the Scott Fishbowl, but that's something we'll have to take a look at. 
Yeah, I think it might be a good spot, though, too, to go non-quarterback to start and then come back at the 2-3 turn and potentially take two of them. Oh, that's a good idea, too. So, like, we could go, well, I don't know, we could go, like, Antonio Brown or something like that and then come yeah. back. And I, I don't know how many quarterbacks would be off the board, but we'd get two good ones at, at the uh, what would be the 24-25. I, I think that's a solid idea. See, this is why I need you on board, because I never would have thought of this kind of stuff on my own. <laughs> Um, let's yeah, not, so it's all about trying to figure out how to not draft quarterbacks too early. Sometimes it bites me, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the bears wide receivers we've had. Um, and I've said this on the show before we've, we've had, uh, I would say like four to five since the start of 2016, come on. And we always like to ask, you know, who's a player you're avoiding this year. Who's a player that you're, um, you know, trying to get on as many teams as possible and not even just from a dynasty perspective, from a redraft perspective, a lot of these guys were saying uh, Kevin White uh, and that, that they're going to end up drafting him a lot this year. You have Alshon Jeffrey in a contract year again, essentially, as, as he's on the franchise tag. So how, how likely is it? And, and again, Alshon Jeffrey, who is no stranger to the trainer's table. I mean, he's, he's got a couple of warts on him despite his talent and, and the production that uh, he's already uh, achieved in the NFL. But how likely is it that we see a big year for Kevin White essentially in his rookie season? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's tough to project a big year unless Alshon Jeffrey gets hurt. We've got Dowell Loggins taking over as OC after Adam Gase left. He's got one year behind him as an NFL offensive coordinator. It was in Tennessee. They finished 19th in scoring, 22nd in yards. Um, and that was up from the previous year, better than the year after, but nothing to get excited about. We've got a, probably a low-volume passing game. Um, we've got John Fox, who historically has not uh, let young players do big things, I mean, especially if this acts like White's rookie year. So I like the talent, and there is the risk with Alshon Jeffrey. Um, but Kevin White, for me, is kind of like Deion Lewis in that I'm not going to tell you he's a bad pick in the range he's going but he's probably going a little bit too early for me to land him just based on who's around him. Kevin White, too, is that he's the type of guy that if he makes – and I know we're, we're still a ways away from preseason games, but if, if people see him make a few plays on the field, like electric-type mm-hmm. you know, game-breaking plays like he made in college, that's the type of thing that can shoot your ADP up like two or three mm-hmm. rounds. You know, it's, just, it's insane how volatile it is, um, but he's the type of guy that could, so – yeah, and he's, and he's the kind of player who could catch 60 balls and have 10 of them be touchdowns, and that's the kind of thing yeah. you can't really project. And so, I mean, you can draft for that, and it might depend on how you have your team constructed um, as far as, you know, whether you're willing to, to take the risk on him versus, say, Alan Hearns, Michael Crabtree going in the same range. Certainly a good draft expert's best ball pick um, be, because of that big playability, uh, you know, sort of like a um, – the, the type of player that Deshaun Jackson was or a rich man's Devery Henderson back in the day, uh, Kevin White would probably be a good DE pick as well. So I think we'll have to, we'll have to put him on the, the short list for the ascendant this year, uh, given that uh, he could end up moving up towards the top of drafts. Uh, let's talk about uh, your Philadelphia Eagles, Matt. I, I was actually I, I, on the show multiple times within the last month and a half. I was talking about how I really liked Ryan Matthews as a seventh-round pick in the FFC, uh, FFPC. But uh, Doug Peterson's actually been talking this week about maybe taking more of a running back by committee approach uh, to his offense. We you have Smallwood there, the rookie. You have um, Darren Sproles, of course, uh, you know, kind of gumming up the, the works, catching, uh, catching balls out of the backfield. So you have other t- 
talented players there. And I don't know if this takes the shine off Matthews a little bit, but he's going in the seventh round. I mean, to me, that's still pretty late for a guy who is the lead guy in this committee. Yeah, I mean, I think he's still a value pick. I'm waiting to see if any of the buzz on Kenyon Barner is for real, um, because that kind of took me by surprise. Uh, Wendell Smallwood I wasn't excited about heading into the draft. I think he's going to be fine. And Darren Sproles is Darren Sproles. I I don't think it's going to be a real committee. I think it's going to be Matthews when he's healthy. He looked terrific last year. Um, He's the only guy in that group that – has showed he can do it, can do it as, as an every down back. The thing that worries me a little bit more is the overall situation. I don't know if that offense is going to be any good. Um, and then when you combine that with his, I mean, I don't want to overplay injury history, but if you're weighing him against, say, Jay Ajayi and Matt Jones in a similar range, you know, maybe that's one slight knock uh, against Matthews along with the situation. I like Ajayi's situation better. I like Matt Jones's situation better at this point. Um, so I think all those guys belong in the same range, and who I would take kind of depends on who's there at my turn as opposed to me being more excited about one over the others. And I think that I, those three backs are sort of going in the same range. I would say Matthews is usually a half round behind uh, Jones and Ajayi. I mean, those guys are usually going, like I would say, like mid to late six, and Matthews is more mm-hmm. like in the middle of, of round seven. Uh, so it, I think that a lot of the players are, are taking the same approaches as, as you would in, in taking Ajayi and taking Matt Jones over uh, Ryan Matthews right now. But certainly in the seventh round, uh, he's a guy that, that has to be uh, you know, looked at in every single draft, no matter what your team looks like. Uh, at that point, another running back. Uh, let, let's uh, let's sort of analyze which we've done to death on this program over the last four years with this guy. But C.J. Spiller, uh, Sean Payton, and uh, ESPN's uh, Saint, uh, Saints beat writer Mike Triplett uh, both said uh, a lot of good things about Spiller the last couple of weeks. His draft value, Matt, is probably as low as it has ever been since he's been a professional football player. I, 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 don't even, I don't even want to ask this question because I feel like I've asked it the last three years, but can we buy into a good season for Spiller, uh, considering that you, know, you could basically get him almost for free in, uh, in the classic sats and the football guys' drafts right now? Yeah, that's the, and that's the thing, is now you're buying a scratch-off ticket with C.J. Spiller's picture on it as opposed to you know, um, putting down a $50 bet. So it's not it's not much, to, and we've seen the upside both in him as a player um, and in the situation. So I think he's a no-brainer as far as a buy at his price. One of the things that always frustrates me about um, the the injury reports that come out of the NFL is during the season nobody will tell you how hurt a guy is. The coaches won't, the <laughs> trainers won't, the players won't. They'll never let on. And it's frustrating. And then after the season, you find out, oh, yeah, he was playing with this bad knee all season. Which, And this is what Spiller was – I mean, he was classified in this group after 2015. Well, he's, you know, his knee just could not get right all season, all season long. And, and now this is sort of the reason from Peyton and Triplett. Well, his, his knee wasn't right. I mean, of course he's going to have a good season in 2016. His, his knee is healthy. He's in better shape. He, and it's so frustrating – because I don't now I don't know what to believe. It wasn't an issue in 2015, and and now apparently after the season it was, and it won't be an issue in 2016. It is so annoying, uh, you know, hearing this kind of talk when you're trying to gauge a guy's true value. I don't know what to believe on Spiller this year. The good part, as you said, Matt, 
you don't really have to – he's not a polarizing guy. I mean, take him in a few drafts in the 18th, 19th round and, and see what happens uh, because it, it could pay off or you just cut him in week two or three or whenever the buys start and, and get somebody fresh on the roster. Uh, a guy that probably will not be cut in most leagues this year if he performs up to expectations is Corey Coleman. He's the guy that's being drafted highest – um, for the Browns receivers so far. Matt, who's the number two wide receiver going to be in Cleveland? I mean, is it Higgins? Is it Hawkins? Is it somebody else? Is it somebody not on the roster right now? Uh, who's the number two receiver going to be? And is there any fantasy value for that wide receiver this year? Well, I think the number two receiver is going to probably rank fourth on the team in targets behind uh, Coleman, Gary Barnage, and Duke Johnson. So it's going to be number two in name only. I, I would guess it's a battle between Hawkins and Higgins. Uh, I would get, If I had to bet on somebody, it would be Higgins, just because Hawkins is pretty strictly a, a slot guy. Um, but I, I don't really think it matters. I don't think you should draft either of them in, you know, uh, an average size the league of any format. I think um, Coleman's the receiver to target. I think Barnage is worthwhile after trying for the after tying for the team lead in targets last year. And I think Duke Johnson has a really high reception ceiling um, because of this whole situation. Corey Coleman this this season. I mean, what do you think as as far as the final line? Do you think seventy five for a thousand and seven touchdowns? I mean, is that what we can sort of expect, or is that just is that is that being a, a little too uh, optimistic on what he can do as a rookie in a new offense with a new quarterback? No, I mean I think that's a solid expectation. I, I might, if I had to, I, I would probably set his bar a little bit lower than that. Um, but you know, realizing that he could exceed that, it's gonna. I think the ceiling is going to come down to whether Robert Griffin has anything left, or you know whether somebody Josh McCown beats him out for the job. Whether Robert Griffin really has that little left. Um, at this point, I think touchdowns are going to be the hardest part because Coleman's going to get volume, so he'll catch some passes. He's fast enough um, and uh, enough of a playmaker that he'll create the yard. So we'll see how many TDs he can score. Just regarding Cleveland as an offense this year, I read a report today on on Robert Griffin sort of being pretty mediocre overall in mm-hmm. in in OTAs and, and the minicamp. He He's a guy that, from what I was reading, would would make a sensational play and then he'd just make a terrible play. Like he's just, he, you know, you can't yeah. can't get any consistency with him. The fact that Coleman will be one of their starting receivers. He's a rookie. Rashard Higgins has a pretty good shot at being the number two receiver, who is also a rookie. And then you have Gary Barnage, who's been in the league for quite a while and and has really only had one uh, productive season. And and then you have you know Isaiah Crowell, who really hasn't lived up to um, what people think his talent is in that offense. The Browns, I mean, they may be an offense just to avoid entirely in fantasy this year because it, it could be a really bad season for them. Yeah, I mean, the ones that I'm most interested in drafting there are Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell because I think they're, you know, you, you, a lot of times you think about the bad teams as having to throw the ball a lot, but Hugh Jackson, we've seen lean run I think he's going to have to lean run. There were examples last year of teams that weren't um, too pass-heavy, even though they were bad. Um, Chicago comes to mind, Atlanta. Um, so you don't have to be um, – you, you don't have to lean pass strongly just because you're losing a lot of games. And I think those two guys will be the best fantasy values relative to their draft position. 
I know Jared Smola was super anti Gary Barnage most of the season last year. He finally came around uh, <laughs> yeah, towards the end of the year. As a result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and like as we look forward to 2016, has his stance like sort of gone back to okay, he had one good year. Let's calm down. He's not gonna he's not gonna do it again. He's not gonna put up big numbers. It's not gonna happen. Or is he is he a, a Barnage believer now? Uh, I mean, even he projected him into the top 12. I forget exactly where he settled in, but I think he's I think he's right around 10 um, in our rankings. So Garrett, uh, Jared's not fighting against him too much at this point. Every time he oh, does, he for- has to look in his closet and see his Gary freaking Barnage T-shirt. <laughs> hey, that'd do it for me, man. That's that's that's. <laughs> look, it, what, if I get that reminder every day when I get up and and I I get my clothes uh, to put on for the day and I got to look at that. That's a not-so-subtle reminder of, of how you don't want to uh, take the hate too far on a guy. Um, we talked about both these guys earlier. Let's compare Matt Jones uh, to Jay Ajayi in, in draft since they're going right about uh, the same area. And there's actually a lot of similarities uh, to what they, you know, what types of players they are. They're both in their second year. Um, both Washington and Miami um, many people expected them to add a significant player in the backfield, and neither one really did. I mean, Washington's got Chris Thompson and Keith Marshall. Miami's got Kenyon Drake. Uh, but none of those guys are – I mean, they're, they're clear backups to both Jones uh, and Ajayi. And these guys should be the lead running back in both their offenses, which are on the upswing. What's your opinion if you have – if you want to take a running back in the sixth round and you have uh, Jones and Ajayi staring you in the face – which one are you going with? I mean, if I follow my own projections, Matt Jones is way ahead of those other guys. I'm just going to have to watch what he looks like this summer before I'm willing to even follow my own numbers. Because it, it reminds me of Toby Gerhardt two years ago in Jacksonville, where you say, look at the situation this guy's stepping into. He's a decent player. Uh, he's got to get at least these numbers. And, you know, if things go right, they could be better. Toby Gerhardt got hurt early in the season and then tanked from there, and Denard Robinson made a cameo. Um, and it, Matt Jones, it doesn't help that Matt Jones um, fits almost exactly into Toby Gerhardt's athletic profile, um, actually slightly less athletic than Gerhardt, but he also matches Le'Veon Bell pretty well in athletic profile. So we take a guy that was a surprising round three pick in the NFL draft, you throw in an uninspiring rookie year where he could never overtake a veteran that the coaches badly wanted him to overtake. He was really inefficient. Uh, I, I'm not comfortable drafting Matt Jones yet, but at the place where he's going, he makes lots of sense. And, uh, I mean, if I were honestly recommending to somebody, I would say he's probably the top pick among those three guys, even if I'm not comfortable with that myself yet. Doesn't it strike you as, and I don't know if this is accurate, this is just sort of the feelings I get for going through you know, draft season every single year. It seems like this time of the year when we're not into training camps, we just have the mini camps and guys have helmets and shoulder pads on and then that's it. I feel like this time of the year when we're drafting, we're sort of looking at a lot of the negatives for, for a lot of the players. Like we talk about how, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm with you on Matt Jones, like I just – I, I would have cert, a certain apprehension taking him in the sixth round. Um, we we kind of look at the, the bad parts of these players, and I think we tend to go a little bit safer this time of year uh, because there's so much unknowns, because we haven't seen these guys in preseason games, we haven't seen them in full pads and seeing what they're doing. I think when training camp starts up in July, I feel like then we sort of shift our focus to the positives, 
and, and not how bad a guy can be, but how high is his ceiling? How good can he be? What, 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 what's sort of like the top end fantasy value that this guy is going to provide? And I think then we start getting the warm and fuzzy feelings about, oh, you know, I know Matt Jones has never been the, the, the man in the offense before, but he he's, doesn't have a whole lot of competition. He can catch passes. He made some electric plays uh, when, he, when he was in there last year. I feel like then we start looking at the good parts of these guys. Do you think that there's anything to that, that drafters are playing it a little bit safer right now than they normally would uh, later on in the drafting season? Well, I mean, I, I think he certainly has a chance to leap up the board if he looks at all good in the summer because the situation is good. And I think it, it's weird, but if you put him up against Ryan Matthews and J.H.I., Matt Jones is probably the – safest of those three right now because none of those guys has put in a full starting season with this with their current team matt jones faces the least competition there um and jhi even plays in what could be a pretty loaded miami offense with lots of receiving options better overall receiving talent i would say than washington has so i mean jones is on paper i think the safe pick among those three and that's where we need to get to but i, I agree with you at this point you pick guys apart, and it all changes once they get on the field. And Amir Abdullah breaks the one, you know, 45-yard run that makes him a, th- a third-round pick instead of a sixth-rounder. Yeah, it's, it's just insane how, how you know, we, we know that the right thing to do is not overvalue a player on, on uh, you know, just based on one play or one game or whatever. And then we just we go ahead and do it anyway. It's it's fantasy football, and it's part of the reason why we love and hate it. Uh, we're yeah, going to have much more. You fall in love with a guy, and then he does something where you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I love him. But now I have to love him more to get him. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a catch-22. It's like, and, and we've, we've had guys on the show before, like, say, you know, I, I really like this guy this year. I hope he sucks in preseason so nobody else <laughs> is on him and I can get a good deal on him. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, man. Uh, great stuff from Matt Shelf. We're going to take a quick break. Right after the break, we're going to come back and talk to Matt, uh, Matt Schell from Draft Sharks, about these rankings. Talk about who the heated discussions were about. Talk about the polarizing players that they, these guys had to find a way to rank uh, as a consensus. We're going to do that right after this. You're listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. My name is Eric Balkman, and you are listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. Co-hosting with me tonight is uh, Matt Schell, the award-winning prognosticator from DraftSharks.com, and part of those uh, prognostications, Matt, that you guys do uh, is your projections that you released this week, and we already talked about C.J. Anderson uh, at the top of the show, that he was a uh, point of contention for you guys trying to find a good spot for him in, in your rankings. Who, I mean, were there any other arguments that were as heated or similar uh, to, the, to the Anderson argument that you guys really disagreed on uh, as a whole? Well, it was basically Anderson versus LaShawn McCoy that it came down to, and we, we ended up having to vote. Um, so that was why it got tight. The, the only other one I think that was um, similar was Dante Moncrief versus Kelvin Benjamin. Um, we have some guys on the staff who, who are bigger Dante Moncrief fans than I am um, heading into this year. Um, I like I love the situation. It's it's kind of like Matt Jones. It's impossible to love to not love the indie passing situation, and he's bigger and more athletic than the other receivers that he shares the space with. I just think that his ceiling is capped a little bit, whereas Kelvin Benjamin was already a top fifteen wide receiver despite being wildly efficient, wildly inefficient, playing with a wildly inefficient quarterback. 
Um, so I think there's a, there's a higher ceiling to him now. He ultimately settled just ahead of Moncrief in our projections. Um, but those were the two that got things going. Although, like I said before, it was, it was not as heated as some have gotten in the past. So you, I mean, so you guys like might be a little bit more dialed in this year and, and thinking, I don't want to say like group thinker or whatever, but it seemed like you guys are just individually when you come prepared with your notes and projections and then you guys sort of like discuss it. To me, it sounded like as a whole, you, you were really more simpatico this year. Yeah, there are, there are some years where um, I'll, I'll look at, we usually start with Jared inputting his numbers. I do my own numbers. Then we compare. Um, and there are some years where I'm like, Oh dude, I, I'm going to be arguing with you about that one. Um, because I think you're way off. But this year, I looked at the numbers that he put in, and I was like, yeah, I think we're going to be pretty close on most of these, and we'll, you know, discuss a couple guys. And there were, some, you know, some other guys that moved up or down a little bit based on discussion, which there always is. But I, I do think this year might have been um, the mildest since I joined the staff a few, years, a few years ago, and we'll see whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> you never know until the to – the, uh the the game start going for real good reports uh to to different degrees or varying degrees uh have come out recently uh this month matt regarding both uh sterling shepherd and victor cruz uh who are essentially the number two or at least who the giants want to be the number two and three options uh, or number two and three receivers in that offense shepherd is going right now in football guys drafts in the seven to eight round range uh, Crew is usually going way late. I mean, 17, 18, 19th round, he's, uh, he's basically free. What kinds of numbers do you think those two guys are going to be putting up uh, behind Odell Beckham this year? Well, I mean, I think Shepard's still in an okay range draft-wise, but I think that he's, like we were talking about before, if he comes into camp in the preseason and has a wow player too, I think he's really in danger of climbing beyond the – the healthy draft range for what we can expect for him. I think it's a good situation. I think he's going to be the number two guy, and there are there's going to be enough there in what looks like a top ten offense. Um, I'm just worried that he's going to climb uh, a little too high, and I don't think he's in a special value range right now. Victor Cruz is kind of in the C.J. Spiller boat where, you know, am I betting that he's going to rebound big time this year? No, but I don't need to to draft him in, like, the 18th or 19th round see what happens and if it's you know if he's a marginal slot receiver then I lose nothing by dumping him yeah I mean with Cruz it's it's I I don't know I I feel like I've had I feel like every since he since he had that devastating injury I've sort of been like once he had the injury immediately after I'm like okay he's done I'm I'm off him there's there's no reason that to -hmm. think that that guy's ever going to come back and I feel like this time of year it rolls around, and I'm like, ah, you know, Victor Cruz, maybe a little bit late. Uh, I, I can get him on my roster. And this year I'm kind of like, um, you know, like, what am I thinking? Victor Cruz, I mean, it's a lost cause. But this is, I mean, he's he's been practicing like every day this week. He hasn't been missing time. Uh, I, I think that there you could find a lot worse ways to spend an 18th-round pick uh, than Victor Cruz. And you, you mentioned, too, Spiller, I, I think that, if if players end up getting Spiller and Cruz, um, you know, in the same draft, uh, the same team getting them, I, I think that one of those guys could hit and and definitely return much more value uh, than than an 18th round pick this year. 
Yeah, I mean, we, I think we would all bet on Sterling Shepard outperforming Victor Cruz right now. But is that a lock? I mean, maybe Victor Cruz is all the way back and does at least edge Shepard in numbers. So if you're talking about somebody that you have to a rookie that you have to draft in wide receiver four range versus a dude that you tack on at the end of your roster who has done it before, I mean, you know, comparing their values, I think Cruz is a much better bet at this point. Second-year wide receiver from the Seattle Seahawks, Tyler Lockett, had a pretty good rookie year last year, and it was a rookie year that a few saw coming, but he surprised a lot of people. Many high-stakes players were surprised uh, at how well he played in that Seattle offense. Now, granted, not a lot of people expected the Seahawks to open up the offense like they did, um, you know, and, and when they did, they were probably thinking, okay, well, Jimmy Graham will probably be the biggest beneficiary of that. Not so. He gets hurt. Marshawn Lynch underwhelms, uh, and then you have uh, Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett really having good seasons. As you look forward to 2016, do you think Lockett's numbers take a big spike? I mean, does does Baldwin regress a little bit, and, and obviously he's not going to catch 14 touchdowns or whatever he did last year, uh, but does he regress a little bit, and then Lockett ends up not only benefiting from that regression with some of those targets going to him, but maybe more of a focus on the passing game. Do you think Lockett uh, has a spike in his numbers for this season? I think a spike is possible. I didn't project a spike, and he actually – I'm a big Tyler Lockett fan, and I've liked him since looking at him heading into the last year's NFL draft. He came out lower than I was hoping that he would when I did my projections, even with um, you know Doug Baldwin taking kind of a necessary um, step back from last year. They have a long way to go to be – even like middle of the league in terms of run pass split. So they could they could increase their passing lean significantly and still be among the more run heavy teams in the league. And that hurts. Um that said, I, I I would I I would be fine with drafting Lockett a little bit earlier than where I even haven't projected because I think his ceiling includes um the potential to overtake Doug Baldwin as the team's lead receiver this year. I think he surprised Seattle with how good he was last year. Um, and I think it's really impossible at this point to say what his ceiling really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of people, a lot of smart people out there that were surprised. And, and of course there's a lot of smart people that think he could even be better and will be better this year too. I have him on, uh, on a dynasty team. So I'm, I'm, very hopeful that uh, he, he does have a good season. Uh, Matt, let's answer a couple of emails here. Uh, first one is Ron in Little Rock, Arkansas. He writes, when you guys put together your rankings, how much emphasis on film do you put on guys you draft each year rather than just stats? Thanks, Matt. Uh, thank you for the email, Ron. So I don't know how this, how this works, uh, you know, Matt, when, when you talk about projections and numbers. Do you, I, how much – how much are you ranking and projecting guys with what you with your eyes with what you saw on the field in 2015? Well, I mean, it's a little hard to quantify that. That definitely goes into everything. Um, we have somebody watching all the games. We watch as many as we can. It, I would say that it's more of like a, a, a tiebreaker or maybe something that gets you um, looking deeper into players and seeing what you can realistically project for them it's really I mean it you know it's it's all about the numbers um and then the eye test kind of tells you whether a guy is good enough to do what you um think he might do whether you think a guy is so good that he's going to get a bigger role or whether you think a guy was not that good and he's bound to crash um you know from maybe a volume driven performance last year 
Let's uh, let's squeeze in one more email here uh, right now, Matt. We'll get to a few more later. But Mike in Santa Ana, California writes, how concerned are you that Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are being drafted as if Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing to them this year and not Geno Smith? Are you staying away from them until we get some clarity? Thanks for the email, Mike. Um, you know, I, I think he raises an interesting point because Marshall had – such a great season last year. Even Decker uh, played played very, very well in 2015. Ryan Fitzpatrick having a great season throwing the ball to those guys. Uh, I think everybody, well, not everybody, but I think most people assume that this contract will eventually get worked out between Fitzpatrick and the Jets. But there is a non-zero chance that it does not. And Geno Smith could be the starting quarterback for the Jets. So when you when you consider that he... Uh, would be throwing the balls to Marshall and Decker and not Fitzpatrick. How much does that ding uh, the values of Marshall and Decker this year? Uh, it definitely makes me, me a little bit more apprehensive, but I do think that those guys are actually still going a little bit uh, slightly lower than they would be if the situation was the same as last year. They're both going below where they finished last year fantasy-wise. So I, I think that some of that apprehension is built in, and I, I'm okay with where they're both going. I, I'm not chasing either one at their level, but I, I don't think that they're going um, higher than they should right now. We, uh, we're going to go to a break in just a little bit here, but right before we do, Matt, let's, let's talk about 2016, uh, a guy that you really went to bat for when you guys talked rankings, a guy that you really want to make sure you get on a bunch of your teams this year, and a guy that's kind of being drafted high right now that you want to stay away from because he could be a bust uh, for, for this season. Michael Floyd is a guy that I've been arguing for since before the projections party happened. Um, and Jared actually ended up projecting him higher than I would have guessed. So we didn't have to argue <laughs> him too much at that point because um, we both have him well within the, well within target range. And I've drafted him a lot already. Uh, I think there's huge upside to him. His role grew last year. Larry Fitzgerald started getting shorter stuff. Bruce Arians said that he could have topped 1400 yards of healthy last year. Arians and the GM have said that he's, matured on the field and off the field. I, there, I think there's nothing but good things around him, so I'm buying the upside on him. Um, and then on the other side, I think Jarvis Landry is going way too early in, in the middle of round three. Part of that is all the wide receivers getting pushed up the board by people jumping on wide receivers early, but he's still going um, right around wide receiver 18 or so. He's totally a volume player. He finished sixth among wideouts and targets last year. Um, I don't think that that huge volume is going to be there this year um, with Devontae Parker playing all over the formation, with the Ajayi-Drake combo we've talked about. Jordan Cameron, I think, will do something more this year than he did last year. Leontay Carew, Kenny Stills will at least siphon some targets. So I think when you take away – I think you take away the high target ceiling, and I think that really um, chips away at Jarvis Landry's safety, which is an argument in his favor. Yes to Michael Floyd, no to Jarvis Landry, says Matt Schau from DraftSharks.com, who's co-hosting tonight here on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to answer your emails and tweets, all coming up in the fantasy feedback section, uh, coming up right after this. You're listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. I'm Eric Balkman. He's Matt Schau. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the HSFF Hour. I'm Eric Balkman. He's Matt Schauf, and it is email time. Tweet, 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 tweet. 
you've got a question for Eric, Dave, or tonight's guest, send them a tweet at Hour on Twitter. Email the show at HighStakesFantasyFootball at gmail.com. Post it in the chat room during the broadcast. Hashtag your tweet with HSFF or just smack Eric in the head. That's HighStakesFantasyFootball at gmail.com or at Hour on Twitter. Matt, uh, first email I want to go to tonight is actually something uh, I've, I've wrestled with, um, not as, as a guy who makes his own projections, makes his own rankings, but um, it's certainly something that you need to, if you don't factor it into it, you have to uh, at least admit that, there, that injuries exist uh, in projections. Uh, I'll just stop rambling and read Steve from Naples, Florida email. Hey, Matt, when the DS guys are compiling projections, do you try and have some sort of injury prediction component? Love the site that is Steve in Naples, Florida. Thanks for the email, Steve. Matt, how do, how do injuries come into it? Because I know that you guys don't project everybody to play a full 16-game schedule when you do your projections. Yeah, we actually started working with sportsinjurypredictor.com um, a couple of years ago. I think this is our third year uh, going with them. They have an algorithm based on player injury history, um, league history with specific injuries, um, league history with when players miss games. Like, for example, younger players are more prone to miss games than older players are who have been in the league, who know how to train, who know how to get ready for the year, and who know how to um, make it through the season. So we get numbers from them projecting the likelihood of guys to miss games, and we factor that in. Um, before that, we pretty much project everybody to 16 games and then take away what the SIP numbers um, say each guy is likely to miss. Because I think that's better than us, you know, looking at, say, Ryan Matthews, seeing how many games he missed over the past five years, averaging that, and then taking away, you know, whatever arbitrary three games we feel like uh, um, taking. So I, I like that that has come in. I've always been a little uncomfortable saying, oh, I think this guy's going to miss two games. Oh, no, that knocks him too low. I think he's only going to miss one game now. Um, I like having this more uh, at least mathematical component to that area. Oh, and one thing I found interesting um, is the uh, the email that hit my email box from DraftSharks yesterday, the 10 fantasy football rankings facts uh, that you guys had compiled together. And it this it was surprising. 14 of your top 17 uh, PPR receivers – are projected to miss one game, at least one game, and only 11 of the top 17 running backs are projected to miss time. When, when you read that or when you wrote that or when you noticed that, did that surprise you at all? Because it surprises me. Yeah, I was surprised to see um, the games, uh, specifically on the wide receiver side. I was, I was surprised to see how many games guys were expected to miss on that side. But, you know, again, that's why we use the – sports injury predictor data and you know nothing's nothing's perfect for projecting stuff like that but this is based on history of injuries with these players throughout the league um and it gives you at least some way to uh, you know figure out expectations as opposed to just guessing like i said based on how many games some guy missed in the past i won't read all the uh the interesting facts uh but i i did find all 10 of them uh, interesting and if you want uh, to receive emails like that, make sure that you sign up for the newsletter at DraftSharks.com. A lot of great stuff to hit your email box. Uh, let's uh, talk about an email that hit our email box. Gary in Norwalk, Connecticut. Good morning, fellas. Considering Nelson Aguilar's bad rookie season and his legal issues, 
Could Ruben Randall end up being the second wideout for Philly this year? Thanks for the email, Gary. You are asking the right gentleman, Matt. <laughs> Ruben, Ruben Randall is the number two receiver. How likely is that to happen? Well, more likely now that we know and now that Nelson Aguilar has been uh, showing what he likes to do on the weekends, um, <laughs> I think it's possible. I, I'm still not interested in Ruben Randall. He's 25 years old, and he hit free agency, and all he could get was a one-year, $1.025 million deal. Uh, the team that drafted him and played him the past four years didn't even offer him anything. I He's going to need to show me that he's worth something um, before I'm interested in him in fantasy. But, you know, in terms of playing time, he's in a good situation. You know, every time I hear Ruben Randall's age, I'm always surprised. I mean, doesn't it seem like he's like 28, 29 years old? He's super, super young when when you consider – well, I mean, when you consider what he's done in the league, he seems pretty old. But he's not not an old receiver. No, yeah, I mean, he should have – this should have been a bonanza for him on the free agent market. We saw Mohamed Sanu get a ton of money, and people are like, oh, look, Ruben Randall's a free agent. He visited the Rams, and they're like, uh, we could sign you, or we could bring we're, back We're Brian good with Quick. Brian Quick. <laughs> Moving <laughs> on, you, you know? <laughs> I just, I, I just, you're right. I mean, he should have break, broken the bank, and the fact that he didn't should really speak volumes. So, And, and, and you mentioned it earlier when we were talking to Ryan Matthews, you're not even convinced that the the Eagles' offense is going to be good this year. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of used to them being a good offense, but, you know, Sam Bradford's the quarterback. Ryan Matthews is apparently leading a running back committee. Um, Jordan Matthews is a number one receiver. Uh, It's just that it might not be a good offense at all. It might not be a good team in general. I'm not expecting it to be. Yeah, definitely buyer beware on on uh, selecting Eagles this year. Let's go to Bill in Detroit, Michigan. He writes, for the first time ever, I am going to be making my own projections for this season. Can you give me any advice as to some tips I should know? Thanks, Matt, and thank you, Bill, for the email. Uh, I have never, Matt, ever done my own projections. I've never done my own rankings. I usually leave that to people smarter than me uh, to establish sort of uh, um a set that I will use, and then sometimes I'll actually physically move guys up and down based on on how I feel, or I'll just use that list and know where my guys are, and and I won't, you know, I won't be a ranking slave, as it were, um, and, and just pick and choose the guys I want. But if somebody wants to compile their own projections, if, or or even compile their own rankings, do you have any good tips for somebody who's never done it before? I'm fortunate to have somebody smarter than me working with me at Draft Sharks in, in Smola. Um, but I would say that the, there are lots of different ways you can go about it. The two biggest keys, I think, are looking at the the trends and run-pass splits for the team, for the coaching staff, um, and to do your projections by team so that you can set up this total pot of numbers and then figure out how they're going to be divvied up. So, like, you know, I'll go in to the off season thinking, oh, Tyler Lockett, I'm excited about him. Uh, I can't wait to see him show up 25th in my projections, and then I'll go through the numbers, and he comes out like 37th, just because that's what's available to that position in Seattle. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not a slave to those numbers, but that helps kind of set your expectations at a more realistic level from the starry-eyed way that you enter the offseason. I got to think one of the most rewarding parts of the process of compiling your own projections is 
when if you're doing it by team, so you get all 32 teams done, and then you know you're putting it into Excel or whatever, and then you hit that sort button and actually see the rankings, like see the the list develop right in front of your eyes, and, and you're actually seeing like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that guy's there, and you're like, well. These are my projections, you know. This this is where he should be. It's got sometimes that's got to be kind of eye opening. It is like when Matt Jones settles out somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just uh, I you know it's a it's a task that I I definitely do not have the uh, intellect uh, to do nor the time. So I'm I'm glad guys like uh, you and and sites like Draft Sharks are are doing it for us and winning awards for doing it. By the way. Uh, Gary in Denver, Colorado, with a better offensive line and a healthy Andrew Luck, is Frank Gore still a good bounce-back candidate despite his age? I've uh, Thanks for the email, Gary. I've never been one to pimp up old running backs, but I feel like I'm sort of breaking that rule this year and not poo-pooing Adrian Peterson as a first-round pick. So I feel like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be ageist with Peterson, I really shouldn't be ageist with Gore. What do you think as far as Gore goes this season, who actually I believe was sort of like a borderline uh, top 12 running back last year in, in PPR leagues, if I'm remembering correctly. What do you think about a bounce back this year with a healthy luck and a healthy offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I think he was RB14 at the end of last year, so that's the thing is he doesn't even need to bounce back to be a, a, a fantasy asset at his um, price. He's going in a, about round seven. He's going outside the top 24 running backs, outside the top 28 um, on some ADP boards. So you're getting a guy who has perennially been a starter level um, fantasy back for an, a mid RB3 price. He, he doesn't have to have a good year to, to return value. If Andrew Luck stays healthy, he's going to get more scoring opportunities. He lost even a couple of scoring chances to bad fumbles in the red zone last year. So he could have had a better season than he did have. And the biggest competition is Robert Turbin and an undrafted rookie in Josh Ferguson. So, I mean, I, I thought about mentioning Frank Gore earlier when we were talking about the Ajayi Jones Matthews um, plateau there. Gore is another guy who kind of gets in the way of getting too excited about any of those guys because you say, well, you know, I could either reach for one of these guys that I'm not sure about, or I could take the boring but safer, more proven, better situation, Frank Gore, in this range, or even wait another round and still get him two rounds ahead of ADP. Yeah, he's. I, I normally like taking those boring guys um, because that that's where the value is in drafts. Um, I think uh, Fitz coming off that bad season, and I'm not equating the the points in the careers that Gore and Fitz are at, uh, but when he came off that really bad season, he was a value. Anquan Bolden seemingly it, it has always been a value for the majority of his career, except for, I, I, I guess, last year he really wasn't. Um, but there's always guys like that. Heinz Ward was another one, too, that just nobody wanted to take him because you kind of – I think when, when the ceiling is more visible, we want to draft players that have invisible ceilings that you know we, it, it's so high or we like to think it's so high that we can't even see it. Um, and those are the fun players to draft and the fun players to, to click uh, in your starting lineup every week. And these guys that we know what they can do and we know that they're on the, the downside of their career, uh, we know that they probably won't hit those numbers again. It's not fun to draft those guys, but it is fun to win uh, leagues. So, it, I mean, that's, that's a guy that you might have to pay attention to given where he's going right now to, to finish 
as the RB14 last year and, and being drafted, you know, behind 27, 28 other guys right now is, is, is something that um, I don't know if it'll change. I mean, he might even go lower, but we'll see what happens with, uh, with Gore. Um, final email tonight, Don in Panton, Vermont. Hi, Balky and Matt. No Martavis Bryant or Heath Miller for that high-powered Steelers offense this year. And it seems like all the talk is on Wheaton and Coates. But will it actually be Ladarius Green breaking out for Pittsburgh? Thanks for the email, Don. I feel like we talk about a uh, different player in this Pittsburgh offense every week, uh, be it Brown, Bell, Wheaton, Coates. I, we, I think we've mentioned Green in passing a couple of times. But we all expected him to break out in San Diego. He never really did. Now he leaves via free agency, signs with the Steelers, uh, and he is the beneficiary of Heath Miller moving on and Martavis Bryant not being available to siphon, tar- or siphon targets away from, uh, from Ben Roethlisberger to uh, Green in this offense. So you look at Ladarius Green, Matt, uh, do we see a breakout in 2016 for him? The only thing that I need to see is that his ankle is healthy. He had ankle surgery just after this past season, hasn't gotten back on the field yet. We, you know, we don't hear things out of Pittsburgh at this point about how well players are doing. So I need to see this summer if he's healthy and if he stays healthy. Um, but if he does that, how could he not break out there? And Antonio Gates is not going to be in his way anymore. And it, it, there is behind Antonio Brown, I mean, does Marcus Wheaton excite anybody? I think people are excited. Anybody who's excited about Wheaton is excited about him because of his situation. And that's the situation for Green. And he doesn't need to get the target volume that a wide receiver does to be a top eight, top six player at his position. So I'm certainly, if if Green proves healthy this summer, I'm certainly betting on um, a, a breakthrough from him and buying him at his draft price. Um, I, you know, and the thing is, he's not being drafted in FFPC leagues as as a um, you know, a guy who's going in the first, in like single digit rounds. I mean, you can get him uh, later on. And I think, again, he's, he's the type of guy, new guy in a, in a new place, in a new offense, new situation. I think, again, he's the type of guy where he makes a few plays in preseason um, because mm-hmm. of the unknown, uh, we could see him uh, shooting up draft boards. So that, that will all, you know, settle itself out uh, in, uh, in August. But right now I think you can get some pretty good value on Ladarius Green. Uh, Matt, you guys, uh, we, we talked about the rankings that you released earlier this week. These rankings have won the FSTA uh, Preseason Projections Accuracy Award twice, and actually users of the DraftSharks MVP board are in for a surprise because there's some new features with that this season. Tell us a little bit about uh, what, what's new for the MVP board as well as what DraftSharks uh, has in store for its subscribers coming up. Yeah, so the MVP board's been around forever. It's been part of the site forever. Um, anybody who's been with us for a long time is going to be excited that we've got um, manual stat entry in there again for when you're setting up your board. You enter your league settings. Um, last year, you picked from a drop-down that had all the different um, scoring choices. Now you type in whatever you need to for your league. You can sync to leagues in various commission um, sites as well so a lot of times you'll just get your scoring imported but you can put in whatever you want now it only makes it more customizable Um, we've got projected floors and ceilings for player projections in addition to the baseline showing guys that we think are risky showing guys that we think have uh, you know really high ceilings beyond their starting point in our projections I think that's key because especially when you rank by projections you can sometimes kind of underrate a player that you think has a high ceiling just because 
that's what you realistically see for him. I think the ceiling is important because, especially when you get further into a draft, um, it can single out guys that can really outperform their draft position. Um, You can mark players on the board, and I think most importantly, um, you're going to be able to access your MVP board from your phone this year. The whole site has been built to scale to mobile devices. It's going to be a lot easier to navigate, to use everything um, from wherever you are uh, on your phone. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. That's really good stuff. And and obviously, if if you haven't uh, checked out Draft Sharks uh, before, uh, you know Dave and I sing the praises of it on this show. I, I you guys do a really good job over there. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you, and I don't think I asked you about this last time you're on the show. I think I played in one IDP league in my career, and my head was swimming. Like I didn't know how to like rate guys. Like I it, like I figured it, this is way back in the day when Deion Sanders was in his prime. And well, not way back in the day, but you know, a while back, um, Deion Sanders is in his prime, and I was thinking like, okay, well, you know, I would think that he'd be one of the top defenders chosen. And then I was like, well, would he? Because he, nobody ever throws to his side of the field, so how does he get any stats? I can't even imagine how you have to, if you're putting together these IDP uh, rankings, which you have won an award for uh, in 2013 for their accuracy. I can't even imagine how you put these these numbers together for these guys. And then you, you sort of have to like penalize guys like Darrell Revis and, and maybe Josh Norman to a certain extent be, because they don't see as much action um, on the field because of how good they are. They actually get penalized because of their talent. And you have to somehow take that into, to, to, a, you know, into effect when, when you're putting the, these projections together, how do you put projections together for an IDP league, man? Well, it's kind of like in you know, it's kind of like it's hard to chase touchdowns with wide receivers uh, and other guys on offense. So you chase catches, you chase yards on defense, you chase tackles more because those are going to be more predictable numbers. Um, you know, obviously you look for guys that step into better situations, guys whose situations change. And I like to look for upfront um, guys who produced more quarterback hits last year, maybe other pressure numbers, who didn't quite deliver the sacks um, and see who might be some sleepers to, to create those. But I, more important on that side, I think, even than on offense, is because so few people really dig into IDPs, I think it's most important to um, find some sleeper or value-type guys that you know you can target at certain points. That tells you – I can wait until this round and I'll still get a linebacker that I really like when everybody else thinks that they have to jump five rounds earlier because they only know six players. It's like when you used to play fantasy way back when fantasy was new and, you know, people didn't know the offensive players the way they do now. You can still do some of that on the IDP side. Uh, you and uh, Jared Smola are obviously still doing the Draft Sharks podcast, which you guys can uh, check out on iTunes. You're on Stitcher. Are you on TuneIn Radio as well? I'm not. <laughs> but I'll oh, talk okay. to you more about it after the show. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I wasn't sure. But uh, Stitcher and iTunes for sure. You can uh, obviously check out the podcast right on uh, DraftSharks.com. You guys actually just came out. Did you record a podcast today, or is this recorded yesterday and released today? Yeah, recorded yesterday, posted today. Okay, and that that's all the the info in, in this podcast. Not only talking more in depth about the rankings and the projections, but also sort of uh, average draft position as well, and and who are who the values are. Really good stuff in there. Uh, you can check that out on, like I said, iTunes and Stitcher as well as DraftSharks.com. 
Uh, Matt, I wish we had more time, but we really don't. I want to thank you for uh, pinch hitting for Dave tonight. As, uh, as I expected, you fully crushed it, and I will be looking to make you the full-time host uh, as soon as I can get rid of Dave. Uh, I want to remind everybody to go to uh, DraftSharks.com, subscribe there, check out all the great stuff, the MVP board, the podcast, all the great articles and analysis, uh, and the award-winning projections, lest I forget about that. Check out the DraftSharks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and DraftSharks.com. Give Matt a follow on Twitter, at ShelfDS. You can follow uh, DraftSharks at DraftSharks on Twitter as well. Matt's a good follow, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, so thanks a lot. I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight, Matt. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about this uh, Scott Fishbowl thing. And I'm not even looking to win it. I just want to have a good showing. Oh, we're going to win it. Okay. I'll be the normal host anytime. You see, you've, you've, you've set these high expectations for me now just with that one little quip. And, and now I'll be completely let down if we don't. Aim for the stars, as it were. So thanks a lot, man, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you uh, on, the, uh, on the show again soon. You bet. Glad to be here. Matt Shelf from uh, DraftSharks.com, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at ShelfDS. Great guy, uh, great fantasy football player, and hopefully uh, we take down the Scott Fishbowl this year. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, that is going to do it, ladies and gentlemen, for our show this week. I want to not only uh, – uh, Matt Shelf, but I also want to thank uh, Rob, our uh, mutual friend and producer, Bryce, our audio engineer, and you for listening. Thanks to the FFPC as well. We will be back next Friday at 10, 9 Central. Dave, the Dizzle, Gerzak will be back, and we'll have on FFPC 500 Dynasty Champion number 23, Mike Rosenau. He'll be on the show next week. A lot of great uh, Dynasty stuff to talk with him. Uh, get those Football Guys Players Championship entries squared away for the early bird. Only 12 days left, left, and your weekend officially starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. Free Kevin Love. Go Cavs. We're with you, Henry.